Welcome to Profane Faith, a podcast that engages faith on the margins. Faith that has been labeled profane, nonconformist, and or out there. We'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred, secular, and profane to find God. I'm your host, Daniel White Hodge. Welcome back, welcome back, y'all. This boy, as always, Daniel White Hodge. And guess where I'm at, y'all? I am at, well, I'm actually in Boston right now as I'm recording this in my hotel room right now. I'm sure if somebody was listening to this, it'd be like, why is that person just talking to himself? Well, actually, I'm not talking to myself, but talking into a microphone. But nonetheless, I am here at my favorite guild of the year, the American Academy of Religion. It is an amazing place. You've heard me talk about AAR um, a lot on this show, actually. I've met a lot of good friends and a lot of great thinkers and minds um, here at AAR. And so I am here. It's always the weekend right before Thanksgiving. And I'm so thankful for Emily, uh, my wife, for those of you who don't know, um, that she is gracious enough to um, extend me the time to go. I know it's a lot to parent alone and just do life alone uh those these well let's see i leave friday saturday sunday monday and then i come back tuesday so that's a long time that is a long time and i'm really thankful for her and just her (laughs) her graciousness for me to come out and just be a nerd and just to talk academics and research you know i think those places are really important um for you know, for any of you doing whatever you're doing, whatever you know profession you're in, I think you need a space that is yours. You need a space that you can say, "These are my people. This is my tribe." Right? That's what some of the language that people invoke. And so AAR has been that for me. It's been a a really it. So what AAR did for me is really, it confirmed a few things. It confirmed, one, that I wasn't crazy in terms of my ideological constructs and thoughts. Two, it gave me a place to really expand on my ideas and create and to garner the language of the academy, right? Because there's a certain language to everything, and so it's given me that space. Um, But it's also been like a healing balm for me. I mean, for those of you who know, and again, if you're just listening to this podcast first time, welcome to Profane Faith. I always encourage folks to go back and listen to episode zero zero to kind of get an idea of what the podcast is about. But to also, you know, I put myself on the the line here and I talk a little bit about my story um, and about where I come from. And, you know, it, it was it's, it was tough, man. It was tough. I was an adjunct for a decade and, uh, you know, I taught at a lot of different universities. And so. Uh, you know, you just after a while, you just start to get depressed, man. And I came to AAR in 2011 and my good friend, uh, mentor and just uh, confidant, Craig Detweiler. If you don't know him, Craig Detweiler, he's a great, good brother. He uh, was here and I really just didn't know the whole conference scene and especially AAR because AAR is huge, man. It's like 10, 15,000 scholars, man. It's AAR and SBL, Society of Biblical Literature. So it's a huge conference. And so I'm just thinking, OK, we'll go to a few sessions and I'm just going to go in for the night. And he was like, "Nah, dude, you got to go. And so that night was just an amazing time to go to receptions and to meet folks and to engage. 
And I just look forward to this time every year. And so, um, yeah, I if you are an academic nut like myself, um, yeah, if you can get to AAR or you maybe you've already been, um, get to it if you can. And I do say that if you can, uh, not lightly, because, you know, these conferences, they're not cheap. My institution pays for me to come. And if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't come straight up. And I'm very privileged to have that um, space to come and do these things because these things are not cheap. Hotel, food, um, flights, um, registration, um, and then just the day to day, the day in and day out. Right. You know what I'm saying? I mean, so it's it is not cheap. So I'm very thankful to be in this hotel room right now in Boston on the 28th floor talking to you guys on my podcast. Um, So. That's just a little background on AAR. But speaking about your tribe and your people this week, oh, we going in. We always go in, right? (laughs) We always go in. But this week we're talking to my good friend and another confidant of mine, got a good comrade, Darren Calhoun. This brother's going to blow your mind. I can guarantee it. Um, Darren Calhoun is a justice advocate, worship leader photographer he's based here in chicago or out of chicago we're not here in chicago now but you know this podcast on demand so at some point i'll be back in chicago he's in chicago uh he works to bridge connections between people of differing perspectives through story and relationship that's deep intersectionality is his primary lens when facilitating dialogue and education about justice and inclusion for people marginalized based on here we go race gender and or sexuality Oh, yeah, we're going there today. So here's the thing. I know a lot of you are probably out there thinking, man, you know, we're going to talk about LGBT. Hell yeah, we're going to talk about that. And for the record, you know, I know a lot of people ask this and stuff like, but, you know, if you've been listening to this for a while, you already know I I lean left on a lot of different things. And um, I still remain faithful to my faith in Christianity. And I don't see any verse that really condemns right? The LGBTQ movement in the Bible. In fact, when you begin to think about what the Bible says and what it talks about sexuality, it actually really says very little to nothing. And Jesus never even spent any time talking about it. And you say, well, Dan, what about those scriptures in there? Talk about, look, first of all, when it meant the word, even the word homosexuality, which by the way, don't go around say that's like calling somebody black colored. Just don't stop using language like that. Like learn, you know what I'm saying? And so for me, I mean, I really did spend a long time because I came from a fundamentalist background. I came from a very rigid, binary space of religion. And so for me, it was about, you know, a sin and what's not a sin and sexuality and what does God allow in the kingdom, right? Nah, 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 nah. We got to reexamine all of that. We got to reexamine our We got to reexamine our hermeneutic, our ecclesiology. We got to reexamine like how we come to our own theological understanding. And when I finally decided to stand on my own two theological feet, I finally begin to understand that, again, the word even homosexuality, that word, if you do an etymological study, it doesn't date all the way back to when our canon was written. Second and foremost, when the Bible talks about, oh, you know, homosexuals won't inherit or, you know, people like the same sex, all that stuff won't inherit. Those words are really just the evildoers. That's what it's translated in. And so once I started seeing that and then it's like once you start unraveling, right, that it's like when you take a little um, uh, what do they call it? Like a little. uh, Oh, the things that when you when you on your clothes, like when you start unraveling the yarn, 
you know, the thread, it, it just starts coming apart. And so for me, as I look at it, I'm like, let's focus on Jesus. All these binary debates, gay marriage and, you know, um, pro-life, pro-choice. Yo, man, I mean, yes, those are important things, but there are other things to be engaged with, you know. And I know this is a divisive topic. I know there's probably some people who already just turned this off, be like, oh, that's it, I'm done. And you know what? Cool. I, I didn't need you listening anyway. So um, straight up, man, you know what I'm saying? Hey, I got tenure, so I'm going to say what the hell I want and say what I really think. And what I really think is, is that we have really effed up the LGBT community as, as Christians and as people who claim to be faith leaders. And Darren and I had a really great conversation about what that means and what that looks like. And so I'm just excited to get into that uh, this week. Um, and there's obviously more stuff, but, you know, what does justice look like? Because so many people talk about justice, right? And then they just stop right at race. And then we never get into gender or sexuality. I don't understand that. Well, actually, I, I kind of do because I used to be one of those people. <laughs> I used to be that. And for me, it was always like, okay, well, race, okay, you know, it's not necessarily biblical. I mean, well, no, no, here's the thing. You could, you could find verses in the Bible that support, you know, biblical reconciliation and biblical justice. But, you know, being gay or being homosexual, it's like, oh, my gosh. But I'm just past those arguments. And so I'm just not, I just don't have them. And so I'm giving you the skinny here of what I believe. I mean, there's much more theological construct to that. But for me, as I look at it, it's like, Sex and sexuality has been such a control issue for the church for years. And so much of the burden falls on women and their bodies, how their bodies are sexualized. I mean, you know, one of the worst books is like, So I Kiss Dating Goodbye. I mean, that book is horrible. It's rancid. It's, it's heteronormative. It's racist. It doesn't, it's really for white people. It's for white men, patriarchal, cisgendered white men who want to really control women's bodies. And it's, I mean, it's just a horrible text. I mean, and I get that a lot of people went out there and use it, particularly conservative white evangelicals, right? It became like a Bible. It became worship. It became, it became part of their canon. And that's problematic on many levels. And so Jessica Valenti writes, you know, the myth of purity and this idea and notion that we always have to be pure. Well, women always have to be pure in order to be accepted, in order to be engaged with, in order to be even loved. And that's just BS, y'all. It's just, it's straight up. And I know this is a big issue, right? I know this is much more complex than I'm saying here in my little, you know, 10 minute introduction and stuff. So, but I wanted to set this up because I think this is an important conversation to begin having. Um, and if this is your first introduction to it, um, you know, we're kind of hopping into the deep end. So you might want to go get a primer some other place and stuff. Um, but, um, you know, Darren is a great man and, and I think he really, really uh, lives out the terms Christian and being gay. Yes, the two go together. And, um, you know, I just think for a long time, that's just been like such a stigma. And it's just like, man, we got bigger issues to engage with rather than, you know, figuring out who's going to go to heaven, who's going to go to hell. Like, do you, do you really think you know who's going to be in hell and who's going to be in heaven? I mean, because you're that audacious and that... Um, you know, that arrogant to believe that. I mean, you've, you've got bigger problems. And those are some things you need to be checking out in. And so anyways, wanted to set it up. So that's that. Um, I'm going to let Darren and I have this conversation because it really is good. And it kind of just sets some parameter. Or not a parameter, but it sets some, some good groundwork for some future conversations. Um, Darren is also, I mean, he's a worship leader. This brother can sing. 
Um, he's with a band called The Mini, which I'm hoping to get on this podcast as well and just interview them as well. Um, he's with Evangelicals for Social Action. Uh, he's a worship leader at the Urban Village Church in the South Loop in Chicago. Uh, he serves on the board of directors of the Center for Inclusivity. This brother is doing it. I mean, come on, come on, come on. I'm going to put his website and all of his contact information uh, in the show notes. So if you're listening, you know, always go to whitehodgepodcast.com. If you forget that, whitehodge.com. You can link back to that. We're on iTunes, Google, Stitcher. And I appreciate those of you who have been reviewing the podcast. Thank you so much. That is very important. It's great currency. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Keep it up. Thank you so much. Um, And, uh, yeah, drop a brother a line. And um, we will continue moving forward as we do. I, well, without any further ado, this is a great conversation uh, that Darren and I had in regards to just, again, just the whole gender, race, uh, socioeconomics, uh, just all those intersections um, and how it relates back to God. So here we go. Welcome back, everyone, to Profane Faith. This is your boy, Dan White Hodge, and I am in here with a good friend of mine, Brother Darren Calhoun. Brother Darren. How you doing, man? Hey, I'm great. It's good to be with you. Oh, man. Welcome. 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 This is great. Darren, just help me out with some technical stuff here. I was coming out of the auxiliary sends and <laughs> this brother's amazing, man. Um, Brother, I, mean, I just thank you. I know you're a busy guy. You sing. You uh, do you act too, man? And you speak and <laughs> like a triple threat over here, man. I do all the things. You do all, all the things. things. Okay. All right. Well, listen, man. The first question I ask everybody who comes on the show is what has been your spiritual journey? What has gotten you to this place today? Sure. Uh, that's always a fun one to answer because there's so many there's so many ways that that shows up for me in my life, in my story. Um, and so I try to condense it down to a few major points. One um, is that I grew up in the church. I've been a part of churches uh, since, I've organized churches since I was probably in about sixth grade. But even before that, I just had a home where Jesus was somebody we talked about and and Hmm. we had relationship with. Um, But it wasn't until sixth grade that uh, we got involved with a local church. And and, uh, um, to kind of fast forward through several years, um, I was immediately an active church kid, youth group. doing late night uh lock-ins and shut-ins and new year's parties and and um just very very active in my faith and leading Hmm. others in faith yeah um and it was in college where i first uh realized that um my sexual orientation was different and i came out as gay and that became a big huge conversation on campus and a big huge conversation for people to figure out um if you can be gay and Christian. And um, I also had this experience where I stopped identifying as gay for a minute. And and that was another uh, conversation, um, which led me into some really challenging years in church. I spent uh, about eight years trying not to be gay. And um, all the the wonderful side effects that come with that, uh, leaving everything, quitting school, forsaking friends and family um because i was i was very very serious about forsaking all taking up my cross and following christ mm-hmm. um what i eventually found out was that in in all of those sacrifices god honored it but not honored it in the way that people told me that it would be honored i realized that god loved me 
and that God's purpose for me was absolutely unshakable. Mm. Um, but that all the things that I was doing, all the sacrifices I was, I was making to try to make myself pleasing to God and to try to, to get right according to other people's theology, those weren't the things that were coming from God and they weren't mm. life-giving and mm. they weren't bearing fruit in my life, not yeah. good fruit. Yeah. And so eventually I, I realized I had to um, move into a different church space and uh, kind of start figuring things out for myself. And the beautiful thing that happened in that is where that's where all these gifts and skills and talents that I've been cultivating as a either as a youth leader in church or as activist in church doing community anti-violence work. Yeah. All that got funneled into the opportunity to help make churches better for LGBTQ people. Man. Um, as well as to just advance the conversations on race and uh, sexual and gender uh, minorities in churches. And so now I get to really joyfully and gleefully uh, live into all of my creative stuff. I sing in a band and I, and I, uh, yeah. and I speak co- at conferences, um, but also in just the, the purpose, if you will, mm-hmm. um, having a very strong sense of God's given me certain gifts and abilities and I'm seeing all of those being used right now, and I'm seeing how it affects the kingdom of God. Man, my goodness, brother. You, um, and I'm looking at your website right now, DarrenCalhoun.com, and I'll post these all on the show notes, and, you know, so folks can follow you, man, because I, I know some of your story. You have come to classes, and you've talked. I think one of the most instrumental places that you came that really shook us in a good way was our doctoral cohort this summer. You came out and spoke to a class full of African-Americans, you know, post the Donald Trump election, post this America that we now find ourselves in. And a lot of them were just like, oh, my gosh, this is this is amazing. So, I mean, I'd love there's a couple different ways I want I want to go, <laughs> but I'm sure there's somebody still on here listening, still struggling with the fact of in their mind, the conundrum of um, being gay and Christian. How has that worked out? Like what, how did you get to that space? Cause you said you were trying to deny mm-hmm. being that. And then of course the intersection of being a black man who is gay. And then, I mean, so I don't know, does that make sense? Yeah. That, that kind of, those intersections there? Yeah, and I, I think the intersections are important. A lot of times we think of these as single issues that we just kind of want to isolate out and, and have a, a unified single answer of, well, the Bible says X, Y, Z, and therefore we're done with this conversation. <laughs> right, right. Um, but the reality is that the Bible says a lot of things in nuanced ways um, that have history and context, and regardless of what your theological interpretation is, I think there's a more... Um, God honoring a more um, humane way that we treat people, especially people who do identify as LGBTQ. Um, that's lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, hmm. um, queer, or uh, intersex. Um, so those those are those are Googleable terms. If you're not already familiar, <laughs> yeah, um, Google is your friend in in this particular instance. Yeah, you ain't lying. Um, but but yeah. So when it comes to my story. Um, there's this part where when I first uh, was trying to figure out what my sexuality was, um, you know, it wasn't a choice. It wasn't something I woke up one day and said, you know, I think I'm going to be gay now. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure? That's what Pat Robinson said, though. Clearly, man. There's, there's a lot out here who mysteriously didn't make that same choice oh, about their heterosexuality who are insisting that one day we chose that we were going to be gay. That's right. That's right. Um, 
And and I think the other part that's really useful to a lot of people is that people often assume, oh, well, gay people just didn't try hard enough. Oh, right. they just didn't pray. They didn't really read the Bible. They didn't believe the Bible. Um, so much of my story, especially when you get into longer versions of it, um, are, are filled with me doing everything that people wouldn't even be willing to do themselves um, when it comes to forsaking all and following Christ. Mm-hmm. And that I still didn't see the fruit of becoming heterosexual. Hmm. Um, and I think what people kind of miss is that they're they're just we go on assumptions. We go on these generalizations where we where we say, okay, there's a single story <clears throat> and in that single story that all my answers all my questions are answered. Yeah. And and the reality is I, I followed some of those stories and some of those narratives and and what really happens is um Yes, there. you might know that one cousin or you might have that one friend who, quote unquote, struggled with this and then they overcame it. And now they're happily married with to a woman with children or, or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, that's fine for that to be their story. I, my story doesn't have to cancel out their story. OK. But the challenge is that um, even the even the most successful ex-gay ministries mm-hmm. um, like the former former Exodus Inter- International, of of a hundred percent of the people who came to them, mm-hmm. who were one hundred percent looking for change, they only saw about twenty five percent of those people experience change. Change being defined as becoming celibate hmm. or um, becoming married to somebody of the opposite gender. Okay, it does not include them no longer being tempted by somebody of the same gender. And I think um, hmm. that's where the, the definitions matter. Yeah, because we think gay is maybe you act flamboyant or maybe you yes. go to a certain parade or yes. maybe you you talk a certain way or dress a certain way um that's often the the perception that straight people or heterosexual people have of what being gay is mm-hmm. but for um gay people what we're talking about is who we're attracted to who we have companionship desires for who we um have romantic desire for who you know who we're tempted by and for most people, um, including people who d- would no longer identify as gay, mm-hmm. their temptation is still for the same sex. <laughs> and so we just yeah. get into these semantic things instead of talking about what real change is or what real hope is for hmm. people in these situations. That's deep. That's deep. Because I know this. So I was at a conference. This is last week, you know, Fuller Missiological Lectures, and it was on race, um, theology, and missions, right? And so. One of the things that came up, well, I brought it up. I was like, all right. So, uh, you know, and this was, you know, like on the third night, I was like, okay, so if we're going to talk about equity and equality and Mm -hmm. justice, why are we not having the sexual orientation question? I think one of the things that drives me nuts about places like you go to, you know, these justice conferences or whatever, and, you know, they're talking great on white supremacy and, Mm -hmm. and whiteness and everything. And sure, those are great things. And I've talked about those on this podcast as well. But we leave out the LGBTQ and it's almost like it's a a switch on the dime. Like it's almost like I'm not going to cross that river. I'm not going to go across that. And Mm so how, how have some of those conversations been in other words, and then it's two parts. So how have some of those conversations been, but then also how have you navigated just some of those, your own personal, like when people like just vehemently disagree, because it's not like, oh, man, you know, I chose a Republican, you chose a Democrat. It's like, no, man, people are like <laughs> vehement against LGBTQ. And it's like there's there's hot or cold. You get people who are like strong, wanting to be allies. You get, the, you know, some of them are ignorant, obviously. But then mm-hmm. you get people who are like, man, I want to take them out. I want to I want to I want to I want to kill them. And 
How has that affected you? I mean, I don't know. I'm just kind of yeah. rambling here, brother. But I was like, man, you you hitting on some stuff that I think that I think is 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 important. And you are somebody I admire and respect. So I'd love to hear what you your thoughts on that, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I, I think part of this is that people sometimes think of this as a political issue, or people sometimes think of this as a kind of chosen identity issue, mm-hmm. and so they think it's something we can just kind of. Um, abstractly debate and where we don't necessarily need the lives of the people who are affected involved. And so that's what you often see, especially in churches where you have a group of heterosexual people who are making policy decisions and so forth about the lives and the the ability to participate of LGBTQ folks. And so um, for me, that has looked like uh, several things. One recent example is a, a relative of mine um, I was on a, on a Facebook comment thread because you know, I do way too much on Facebook. <laughs> I was on this comment thread, and they uh, the thread was a video where a black guy is saying, um, black gays and women are holding back the black man. Mm. And he is making his case that that black lives matter and that and that and that the current social justice atmosphere is anti-black man. And I responded, I'm like, the majority of people who benefit from the action of Black Lives Matter are black men. Mm, mm. It's primarily led by women and by queer people. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, how, how we want to dig into that and why that is, I'm, all, I'm always open to the conversation. But the challenge has been that queer people and women have been leading the charge on all kinds of things everything Mm -hmm. from feminism everything from from voting rights and and like these are the people who are behind the scenes but our society favors and and likes to rally around um cisgender men and so so i was kind of pushing back on this and my cousin came in and and was basically basically saying well you have to be black first then you can be gay and hmm. I'm like, oh okay. uh, I, I don't know that I get to choose the order of my oppressions. <laughs> <laughs> I, right. I, I don't get to turn one off for the sake of being oppressed by another part of myself. Oh boy. I experience all these things simultaneously and in compounded ways. And so it, like in a situation like this, I'm very literally asked, being asked to leave parts of myself at the door so that they can feel comfortable having a conversation about, about black justice issues. Yeah. And I'm like, what the challenge is that if, if we do make things better for the people who are most marginalized, that is who people who are sexual and gender minorities, mm-hmm. um, everyone else benefits. But what we normally do as a society is we prioritize people who are pretty much always at the top, which is, would be men, which would be cisgender folks. Um, we tend to want to say, oh, well, let's get these first and then we'll <laughs> right. get to everything else with this right. tri- trickle down economy of justice. And just like other trickle down economies, it always stays at the top <laughs> and it never quite makes yeah. it to the people who need it the most. Right. Right. Um and so I, I've, I've faced that challenge of being black and being gay, being somebody who's working for justice on both fronts and in black spaces, often having to often being asked to check my gayness at the door. Mm. The flip side of this is in white spaces that are often gay affirming and gay friendly and, and so forth have no room, no concept of my blackness. And mm. so I've had people who are very, very pro gay and, and very affirming of, of me um, very literally forget that I was black when they say, oh, 
I wasn't thinking about you. I was thinking about those other people. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Or you, you, right. you have spaces like Boys Town in Chicago that are notoriously not people of color friendly. Um, hmm. And so you, you have spaces that are known for being, quote unquote, the spot, the destination, the, the designated by the city safe space in Chicago yeah. for LGBTQ people where the people and the residents feel like they need to take Boys Town back from who? <laughs> oh, the black and brown youth who come to receive the services that are happening at the center on Halstead. Wow. Oh, OK. Wow. Or more recently, um, you've seen at pride parades across the country mm-hmm. where there are um, people of color, especially especially trans um, women who are speaking up and saying, hey, the police involvement in these pride parades makes us unsafe. And instead of people having a thoughtful conversation and listening to it, you see the anti-blackness pop right up. And they say, oh, no, this is for us. This is about us. And you're like, who who started Pride exactly? Who who, who threw the rock? Who who kicked off the Stonewall riot that created the the gay memorial marches that Hmm. eventually became the tradition of Pride parades? Yeah. But we don't have that history. We don't have that connection. It's been whitewashed very literally. And so people now walk into this story mm-hmm. and they're like, oh, no, you're trying to make this a black thing. And it's like, it's always been that the the Harvey Milk was inspired by the the people in Brazil, Ooh, the brown people in man. Brazil who were rising man. up <laughs> and, and taking taking their rights back. Um, but again, we we don't know these parts of our stories and, and we mm-hmm. live in a society that, that prefers whiteness. It centers, it, de- it defaults to whiteness. Wow. So it doesn't have to be something somebody made a conscious decision about. It's just what it's what's going to be yeah. unless we make a different kind of choice. Um, so living in all that, that, that can be stressful. <laughs> yeah. Understatement right there. Right. I mean, so, I mean, again, I mean, I'm thinking, so my... My first introduction to the personal side of LGBTQ communities was through my cousin, my first cousin, David Virgin, who came out as gay in like 1986 um, and by 1988 had revealed to us that he was dying of AIDS. And so he was he was in Texas. He was part of the first group of folks who went to the Dallas Buyers Club because he wasn't mm-hmm. able to get all of the medications that he needed. And so this was part of the way he was getting it. So all that to say. It was a struggle because I remember seeing in the news, you know, this up this uptick of okay, what is AIDS? And it must be a gay disease, mm-hmm. a gay man's disease. And my cousin put together this whole quilt for the AIDS quilt and blanket. But I remember the struggle it took. He finally got it on there, but just it was it was it was a struggle, right, to get it on there. Like because he was a brown man coming oh, wow. into this white space. Wow. Um, and it was a trip. It was the first realization that, well, there's, there's a lot more going on here that doesn't make sense. And my, his father, my uncle was a Baptist preacher in the South, extremely conservative. And he had, and, and I'm actually trying to locate this book. He put together a memoir and, and I remember reading part of it. And I just, like I said, I, I, I need to go find it. But part of it was like, he said, sitting in church listening to my own father talk about how, you know, quote unquote, homosexuals are going to burn in hell and they're this and this and that. And, you know, he goes into that experience about what that means. Just the, again, the hate that mm-hmm. exists. And it's almost like a double pronged hate, right? It's like, I hate you because you're black. I don't like that. But then you're gay on top of that. Oh my gosh. Unfortunately, he passed in, you know, 1996. Um, 
you know, of of that disease. But my point in saying all of that is that it rocked the family yeah. theologically. Yeah. Because now here's your son, right? You know that you're talking about. Um, I'm wondering. <laughs> I'll just ask, like. How then do you deal with some of the more binary, obtuse thought, theological thought that comes at you and says, yes, but the Bible says this. We believe in the Bible truth. I was on a panel in that same conference and, you know, mm-hmm. this other, you know, AG brother was just like, well, I believe the Bible is the true word of God and that it says <laughs> this and, you know, and homosexuality is a sin. And so, I mean, yes. I mean, I'd, I'd love to hear just how you engage that. I mean, I know that's, you're probably tired of answering that question, <laughs> but I know I have some listeners who are still thinking like, oh, how does he deal with that? And and then I also want to get to the whole issue of how being gay and black is like completely less than, because that's another conversation I have, right, with African Americans. It's like, mm-hmm. our manhood is not being shown right. Oh, and why God. would you, why, right. You, okay. Emasculating right. Yes. the black man. Yes. Oh, God. Yes. Yes. <laughs> All right. So, the first one, because oh. I know you got some theological thought. You are well read, brother. Y'all, for out there <laughs> listening, don't be don't be fooled. This brother over here, well read, and he's a photographer too. Oh, glory! Um, <laughs> so, I remember, and you know, you sharing. I appreciate you sharing that story about about your cousin. Um, I remember my pastoral, um, my my leader, my pastoral advice in one of the three conversations we ever had about this topic over the course of eight years was um you know the devil just wants you full of aids wow and his spiritual direction was you need to get your life right so that you don't go to heaven with aids no that was that was actual that was an actual quote and I, I had read enough of the Bible to know that that's not how heaven works. <laughs> you read enough. You read enough pages. <laughs> we, we, we don't go to heaven with illness. It's not wow. a thing. It's not something that, that we carry as, oh a, as, a, as a scarlet letter of shame into the eternity. Um, but what he was doing... And I think what many people are doing mm-hmm. is they're they're trying they're responding out of fear mm-hmm. to what they don't understand, and so we kind of grasp at things because fear is 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 a core thing. It's 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 how humans are designed to stay safe when they don't know what else to do, mm. and so we we jump to fear narratives. We, we jump to these these fear reactions because it's just without thinking our bodies are designed to go go in these ways and so we then spiritualize that we say oh now here's a scripture that goes with my fear and so that must therefore it must be true or mm-hmm, here's mm-hmm. here's how how this looks in this other context so this must apply here and i don't have to think any more about it because the other part is we don't want to think about things that scare us we don't want to think about things that we don't understand yes um and so it becomes this thing where, uh, for me, I remember being in situations where I was believing all the fearful, fear-informed things about how God was going to forsake me and how mm-hmm. God would not be near me and mm-hmm. that would not be with me. Right. And, and God would show up in situations. Mm. God would show up in the spaces where I was very certain that I was not in the will of God. Um, one example being, and, and you know, this this might blow a few wigs back, so, you know. <laughs> That's right. Pull, pull, pull your hair on tight. Um, <laughs> I, in, in, the, in that space where I was in this church and I was trying not to be, de- be gay and I was trying to be delivered, um, yes. I, um, I was struggling with sexual addiction. 
Okay. Which I understand is something that's different than sexual orientation. But in church, we conflate, conflate all the bad things together, and we just call it one one big old spirit that you just need to get delivered from. That's right. That's right. Oh, you're using the language too. Oh, bad. yes. Uh, I, some people are triggered right now, but we're going to bring it home. We're okay. Bring it home. I, I'm with you. Um, and so I'm struggling with sexual compulsion, sexual addiction. And I remember I'd gone on a hookup. I'd gone and, and met up with somebody uh, for an anonymous sexual encounter. Mm. And in going to do this, I felt like my teaching had been that I was walking out of the will of God, that any and everything that would happen would be something I deserved and, and something bad, of course. And that would be the judgment of God. And so I would went on this hookup. And in doing so, um, after everything was said and done, because I'll keep it PG-13, after everything was said and done, God speaks to me Wow! and just ministers to me. And it's just like, I'm still the best lover that you've ever had. Whoa. And what that, Whoa. What that was saying was that, hey, Ooh. I'm showing up while you're in bed with somebody. I'm showing up in the places wow. that you've always been taught are horrible things to do in horrible places to be yeah. and I'm showing up and reminding you of my love for you and I'm not like out over here to be like oh I'm gonna get get back at you and be vengeful it's like yeah. no I'm gonna invite you back and and what I was f- discovering there was that God's intimacy for me mm-hmm. was something that was not going to change you know we, we talk about there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God neither height nor depth nor angel nor creature nor things present or things past there or things go. to come there we, go. we talk about these scriptures but we don't actually let people put them into practice we don't let people find themselves mm. in the word find themselves in the hand of God in a situation where they're like can God still love me here whoa and that's where I hmm. had the moment to realize that, you know what? People are going to say and do things that, again, what fruit, what fruit came from all these fear messages? Mm. But when God showed up in that moment and reminded me of love and reminded me that there's nothing that could separate me. Yeah. It wasn't, you know, people always talk about permission and license to sin. No, it wasn't that. It was an opportunity for me to go. God, let me let me follow you right now. Let me let me. Okay, I believe you. I I remember my response in that moment was like, "Okay, Lord." <laughs> now some people are hoping, and you never went back. No, I did. I, I did go back, and then and 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 yeah, here's, yeah, yeah. here's the next the next level of this. The next right. time I went back, yeah. Um, this person I was with is an atheist, and uh, he's atheist wow. and pretty anti-Christian. Wow, but. He liked gospel music. Get out. See, (laughs) the complexity of human beings, man. Right? But I love me some gospel. Because, I mean, this is a global phenomenon. People all over the world in very secular countries Mm -hmm. love the musicality and the styling and the expression of gospel music. Wow. Um, But this person that I'm in bed with, still feeling all this guilt and and conviction, but God's showing up. Mm -hmm. This person starts singing over me <laughs> and it's just like I'm gonna raise you up and I'm going to use you and I'm just like God are you are you singing to me right now <laughs> and yeah. and I'm, I'm being challenged to think about God showing up in ways that again the fear in people told me God would, would be far from me and that God would abandon me because they they read their own disgust they read their mm-hmm. own 
um, experiences and, and their own guilt and condemnation and shame that I really think comes from the accuser of the brethren, yes. a.k.a. Satan. Um, they read that into my life instead of giving me the, the space and the grace to let God love me and meet me wherever I was going to be. Right. Um, and so that, you know, that's a really long kind of setup no. for the know. idea that like when I when I have these conversations, my aim and my goal personally is not to convince everybody of a certain theology about this topic. Um, there That's are people point. with the conviction that this is not God's best for for humanity, that that um, that people should should resist being gay or maybe consider being celibate in response to being gay. And I'm fine to a to a certain extent with people having differences of opinion on this yeah but we don't normally treat it like a difference of opinion we don't treat it as paul says as a disagreeable matter where some people have one conviction and some people have others right instead we treat this as something that is something that we have to literally harm people over um there was a young man and i'm I'm sorry i can't recall his his name right now but a 14 year old young man was just recently killed um by a parent or guardian um his father because he's gay and his father said i'd rather have a dead son than a gay son i think i heard something about that man that is yeah and i'm, I'm gonna see if i can look it up because i think saying saying the names is really important um but we when we have this toxic theology when we have this kind of fear driven hate inspired um praxis of of what we believe and what we say um, it gives room for people to take that and run into ways that are very yeah. harmful. Yeah. Um, and if we don't make a choice to do otherwise, if we don't make a choice to think about what's the impact of what I feel is the Bible says, um, when, when, we, when we do that kind of interpretation, are people free to, to grow in relationship with God? Are people free to make choices? Are people free to follow their convictions? Um, what I've often seen in churches is that people, instead of growing and, and flowing in God, that people leave the church. We have research that says that 80, 89% of LGBTQ people in this country grew up in our churches and that more than 50% of them leave by the time they're adults. It looks hmm. like you, you found some, some info there. I did. I'm, it's looking like... Um, and again, I'll post these in the notes as well. It says, uh, police in Henderson, Nevada... Where the murder took place last Thursday, said 53-year-old Wendell Melton shot his son, Giovanni Melton, mm-hmm. in the apartment where the teenager lived alone. Yeah, and it's just it just goes into exactly what you said. You know, I'd rather have a dead son. He hated the fact that his son was gay, Jones said of Melton. I'm, quote, I'm sure that inside of his mind, he would rather have a dead son than a gay son, end quote. Right. And you know we we talked about this the the emasculation of the black man this this yeah. fear again this fear narrative that um, they usually is a is a code word for white people are trying to take away masculinity from black men so yes. they they again air quotes fund things like Black Lives Matter to to subvert the black man and to and to take away power and to break up the family structure and, and all of these uh, conspiracy theories I would say about what's going on and I think the reality is that um, masculinity in our culture Mm. has traditionally been toxic and that doesn't mean that it's bad to be masculine and it doesn't mean that that we're looking to end masculinity what I'm critiquing or what I'm challenging here is the idea that masculinity has to be harmful 
to be successful. And that, that mm. means that you often find yourself harming people who don't Whoa. conform Whoa. to your ideals of masculinity <laughs> that really no one lives up to. You know, our caricatures of being a real man, man. Are, are built on these violent ideals, are built on these hyper macho ideals that no one lives out 24 hours a day. But because we've held these up in our society, we go, oh, well, this what it, is what it means to be a real man. And I have to, to, to defend or I have to um, end anything that deviates from that. Mm-hmm. And so you get people mm-hmm. who um, look at at black men as two ways. You know, this, this, so toxic masculinity in part comes from white supremacy. And I'm going to try to break this down. But white supremacy makes men think that they're fighting for something fighting for identity fighting mm. for 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 rights to something that's that's owed to them when the yeah. reality is that whiteness was created by by men who had power and wanted to keep everyone else out of power um and so they say well if you become white aka if you lose your ethnic identity if you use, lose your italianness if you lose your polishness if you lose your germanness if you lose that and just become white or american yeah, yeah. then you can access whiteness and then you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps and then you can have money you can have all these things that are above what those other non-white people have and so that's the genesis of this that their manhood and their ability to provide and so forth was tied up in this construct of whiteness but that also tied into it the threat that the black man either needed to be docile and not as much of a man as you um that that black men needed to be these pushovers and they're oh they're just good good happy slaves and they're uh, um that that's one narrative that comes out of this supremacy of white masculinity but then the other narrative is oh no they're beasts they're going to rape your your wives their daughters they're going right. to they're right. going to come after you you have to keep them subjected and so you have these very opposite and conflicting notions that both came out of this desire and need to keep black people out of the the power that is whiteness yeah and so that trickles down through the years into all of our laws, all of our things that said, oh, only men can, only white men who are affluent can own land, which means that they can vote, which means that they can have power. And then as that, that definition expands, we still have this constant picking between whether men and women can do it, um, whether blackness and whiteness can be involved in it. Um, and it gets so far back in our history that we forget these these dynamics we forget yes. the details yes and we just kind of see things as this is the way it always was when the reality is our, our our african ancestors and our and our and our people on the continent before colonialism had much more egalitarian values and societies like there's there's there was room for people to have more gender expressions mm-hmm. there's room for people to have um lives in societies that were structured differently pre-colonialism but again, because we don't know our histories, because we've been given these fear narratives, we start acting in ways that are just core to uh, scared people, and we yeah. miss out. Woo, brother. <laughs> that that is, was a mouthful. <laughs> oh, my goodness, brother. I mean, you encapsulated so much of just the element that I find I feel we are in right now. I mean, this... This toxic masculinity that goes way beyond just hyper masculinity. I mean, it just it it really touches into 
I mean, I was raised, for example, by all women. Uh, my grandmother, my mom, my dad was out. Like, I had the traditional pookie story, right? Like my dad <laughs> left. My mom got was on crack and stuff. And so, so I had a natural affinity towards more feminine characteristics. But I remember growing up that my uncles at age, this was six? I'm trying mm, to remember. This mm-hmm. was like at age Very six. Young. Yeah. We're already telling me you're going to be gay if you if you don't come and st- be around more men, mm. and that that was I mean it's like the way men use the b word right or mm-hmm. or even not even derogatory I mean we we can put it in the Christian setting right it's like oh well, you throw like a girl quit being a girl about that right. it's like that is less than right and it it was installed in me that's why I always say I'm a recovering hypermasculine it's a recovering sexist because mm-hmm. even though I was raised by women and I have some insight but there were still enough men around me in the locker room right. who would say don't be this and don't be that even though there was a lot of uh, however you want to same sex eroticness you know even happening within mm-hmm. the locker room within the young, young men right. who would eventually go on and come out and, and say oh man I'm gay but in that space, obviously, as a kid, you know, growing up, I and mean, it was so contained. And then being a black man on top of that to come out and say, oh, man, I'm gay on top of that, then takes it to another area. Because these are the conversations, right, that we have, particularly in black spaces. Like, well, Moonlight was great, but, man, oh, <laughs> no, man. Why has he got to be gay, man? And then, you know, then talks of the Illuminati come out. And oh, help, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I'm help saying? Help us all. <laughs> oh, I, help us all. And so I guess... I guess I'm trying to figure out, like, you know, how does what does that mean, you know, moving forward, and you know, especially for the black church, which tends to be a lot more socially liberal, mm-hmm. but then theologically very conservative. conservative. Yeah. Um, and so for you in your space and time and everything, I know we've kind of gotten on the thing with the whole because you you do other things. I mean, besides, <laughs> you know, being an activist with LGBTQ. Um, just lastly, and then we'll we'll move on to something else, but just. In your own realm, in your own space, um, what are some of the sort of some of the pluses? What are some of the the greats? What are some of the successes that you're seeing right now with the work that you're doing? Yeah, there are a lot of of opportunities to find hope and to see that there is another way. Um, one of the the songs that that I sing um, in the group that I sing in is called "The Many." Oh yeah, we. Uh, we there's this line that I that I sing of let us be a sign of hope let us be a sign of love let us be the ones who say there is another way mm-hmm. and I I love that I'm a part of a group that's creating music for churches but that's not super churchy yeah um, that is trying to remind us of the hope remind us that there really is something amazing in this gospel there is really something amazing in the story of Jesus that that inspires us to love that teaches us that love can conquer all kinds of evil yeah um that there's that and that we're called into this that we're co-creators and collaborators hmm. in this and so um i love that singing with a group like that and being a part of various progressive kind of music spaces and and, and conferences and so forth gives me an opportunity to see okay it's not just us yes yeah. we're kind of scattered out all over the place <laughs> sometimes we uh we exist in spaces where we might not be expected i know i've been invited places to talk about being a progressive evangelical and yeah. i'm like yeah. okay i guess i guess i can run with that title it's not <laughs> one that i necessarily use for myself but if that means that i am connecting with other people who are who are in spaces where they may feel like they're not 
heard or where the majority view may may be something different that yeah like we we can make a difference yeah um and so i i I work with organizations like the gay christian network and the reformation project which are helping to equip um churches um in two different ways reformation project uh, is a is a theological idea um, and, a, and a resourcing kind of nonprofit that is helping to teach people an, an affirming theology, mm, yeah. an affirming way to, to look at scripture and to support pastors and church leaders who are looking to um, to embrace that deeper or to ask questions about it even. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's the kind of work that's happening there. We just had a conference here in Chicago with over 400 Man, people attending. Yeah. I so Absolutely wanted to get to that. Powerful. You missed it. It was. Uh, it was I know, good. man. Because I mean, we had folks like Michelle Guidry, like just dropping oh, knowledge bombs oh, everywhere. Oh, <laughs> we had Jarrell Wilson as as one of our opening keynotes. Oh, and, don't tell me that. And and when I tell you, and and fortunately, these <laughs> yeah. keynotes will be available online. Oh, good. Um, so you can watch them on our Facebook and our YouTube pages. Yes. Um. But, you know, to, to see people coming together and to, like, not be pulling punches, uh, to see people who, um, again, we're, I know for me, I, I really struggled to feel like I was the, well, I, I was the only way for, uh, the only one in so many ways for a number of years. When mm-hmm. I'd be a part of churches um, where I was going out and doing this work, I did have the support of elders and leaders, but then it was like, well, pray for you as you go. Um, but in the in recent years, and especially at, at this most recent conference, I remember looking out and seeing not only people from my previous church, a, a very large non-denominational evangelical church, um, who were there and at the conference and attending and mm-hmm. volunteering, but I also saw people from my current church, um, Urban Village Church, okay. that is an anti-racist and an LGBTQ inclusive church. Yes. Um, and it was, it was amazing to me. It's like, you know, for years... I thought I was the only one. I thought I was crazy. I <laughs> right, thought, right. like, okay, either I'm completely crazy and God's, like, forsaken me and I'm just off in my own delusion, or God is completely here and leading me into something mm. that's new and something that's yet to be seen. Mm-hmm. Kind of like Abraham being led by God. He didn't have a Bible. He didn't have a pastor. <laughs> right. But he did have faith. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, and so for me, seeing the, the fruit of going from being alone, locked in a basement of a church, trying to become heterosexual so I could be pleasing to God, to mm. years later being able to stand on the stage with other people who, as recently as the InterVarsity Purge, had been told that they would not be used by God, who had been yes. told that they couldn't yes. be pleasing by, pleasing to God. Yes. To see those people hold up the communion elements, to hold up the bread and the wine, yeah. and to break bread and to invite people to the communion table. And this, again, in the context here is that this is a room full of people who've been told by churches that they're not good enough to receive the bread and the, and the wine, who've been told by churches that because their theology is quote unquote off or because they don't come to the same conclusion as maybe what more traditional folks might believe, they've been told that they're not welcome or they've been told that they need to be silenced and to yeah. see them able to celebrate communion, to see them celebrate um, ce- celebrate that, that breaking to bread and belonging together like that is the powerful Mm. reminder it's like this matters wow like it doesn't it doesn't fizzle out it doesn't burn out that the fruit of this is something that continues to bear more fruit and that the stories that i have of my pain and my hurt that those things are inspirational and life-giving to other folks that god um 
I don't believe God would would create this kind of calamity and this kind of chaos, but I do believe that God was, is faithful to be with us through all of it and that there's some kind of amazing redemption that happens that in the calamity and chaos that God brings that together and makes it work out for good. And that is my life. Man. Like, that is my story. And to be able to, to say that not just as an aspirational hope, but to be at a point back to specific moments in my life that I can say today are paying off and that mm-hmm. are changing other people's lives. It's mm-hmm. just like, this this is the good news. Man, <laughs> brother. And I think, man, and I just think, man, that is such, again, that's one of the many reasons I wanted to have you on because I think that's such a good word that's not being shouted loud enough. I mean, you do an amazing work, it, it, but, it, but it's like there's people who still live in the dungeon of, this is sinful. I am. There. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just say God is showing up in those spaces. Right. Yes, and, yes. you know, and when you talk about sexuality. Right. I mean, it's like, well, it's easy for me then to talk about all oh, the women I slept with. And then it's kind of overlooked at as, you know, it's like, oh, OK, well, that's just that. That's what a man should be. But boys it's like, being boys. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and raising a daughter. Now, I'm, you know, I'm seeing a different side of it. And I just I just really appreciate, brother, what you um, had what you're saying right here because it's like that people need to see that that for me is is also part of the gospel just this this complexity of that and in hearing yeah. that man so i'm i'm thankful to god that you are around and that you have gone through what you've gone through to be where you're at right now yeah. and i you know i appreciate the parts of your story where you talked about the, the things you experienced as a youth and and so forth that I, I think we don't realize often that 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 these systems of oppression, these abuse yeah. cultures, take away something from all of us, including mm-hmm. men, including the men who might be idealized in these scenarios. Right. Um, white people don't get to have a history and a culture. Black men don't get to have emotions and vulnerability and, and be loved. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's all kinds of ways that that people are denied, even if they're quote unquote idealized in these right. in these uh, in these structures. So I, I mean, I want us, to, I want us to get back to the part where we're all free, where we, where mm. we all can have our stuff back. <laughs> you know, yes. all of us were created in the image and likeness of God, and that doesn't mean that we'll all be the same. It doesn't mean we'll all look the same, but it, but it does mean that I think that that there's something that can be restored in yeah. all of us, where, yeah. where God made this beautifully diverse and wonderful and and growing creation. Um, where Revelation doesn't show us going back to the Garden of Eden, but it goes, it shows us going into something brand new, and that that descends on where we are right now. Yeah. And so, for us to to begin to expand our minds and and to expand our theologies and be thinking about what what if it doesn't have to be a binary? What if it doesn't have to be a, a hierarchy? What if when Jesus tore that veil in two? That, that that's an opportunity for us to see and experience God in a new way, not to just hurry up and recreate the temple. Like, what if God <laughs> really does want to dwell with us and us to dwell with God in ways that we just can't fathom right now? Right. And but but that's that's a freedom. That's a liberty that that, again, if we're afraid, if we're hiding like they did in the Garden of Eden. Right. Right. Then then we're going to miss out on. Mm-hmm. But God is. Even in the garden, it's like, hey, I got a restoration plan. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Hey, I That's want you right. back. <laughs> <laughs> man, brother. Um, man, I want to be respectful of the time here, man. This is this wow. is zoomed by. I mean, this is amazing. <laughs> I will definitely have you back on. Um, talk a little bit about the mini, if you will, because I know you guys I love what you guys are doing. And I want to eventually, I know I talked to to, to y'all about having the whole group on here and talk oh, about yeah. what it is y'all do because 
But talk a little bit about that. I mean, and again, I'll put all these in the show notes for those y'all listening. <laughs> that, that'll be great. The Mini is a band that grew out of the plural, plural Guild. Plural Guild is the brainchild of Lenora Rand, and she's uh, an amazing preacher and writer mm-hmm. who um, wanted to just create some new music and new liturgies that were inclusive of people, liturgies that didn't rely on on imperialistic language uh, liturgies that don't rely on on masculine dominance Mm. liturgies that invite everyone to the table Um, and so she creates these liturgies and she writes these songs and then our band um, has the pleasure of putting these together with with um, Hannah Rand as our as our music writer and Gary Rand kind of coordinating the band and we come together and we and we sing this music and when I tell you people are moved by it, people mm-hmm. who don't go to church anymore, people who who um, who are struggling to, to understand what their faith is right now, as well as people who are leading multi hundred co- people congregations every week. Like this is something that's really resonating, resonating with folks. Yeah, because we don't just spend our time having really thoughtful conversations about abstract things like waters and, and brooks and lilies and fields. <laughs> Which is important. I, yeah. I, as an artist, I'm not going to take away from the the fact that those things yeah. can be inspirational to us. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. we, you know, we have a we have a liturgy that talks about tearing down the walls, hmm. and it doesn't just go through the obvious route of what it means to have a have a administration that's dead set on building a wall to keep people out. But it talks about the walls in our own lives and how wow. we how we built walls that you know we we like to lock our doors and we like to feel safe and secure by by sectioning off. This is my space. And everyone else needs to stay out. Um, so there's ways that mm. these walls show up in our, all of our lives, and so we erect a wall during our worship, and we have this liturgy where a wall is physically built between two sides of the room that separates the, the congregation that's gathered wow. to, to hear this, and that wall becomes a wailing wall as we put the names of people who've been who've been um, harmed by police, and we put the names of people who who've, who've died to violence in the mm. past year. We we take that wall and we transform it. Man. And so that wailing wall then gets collapsed and becomes the, the table on which we celebrate communion. Because when we are wow. talking about these walls, yes. we see that Jesus really does tear down the walls, that, that Jesus really does build something new out of what was. And so for people to have that moment with us in our liturgies and in, 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 our, in our gatherings, mm-hmm. um, it completely expands people's minds. And they're like, oh. Let me do something different at church. <laughs> let, let me let me think about this. Let me talk right. about this in a, in a way that's that's kind of new. So I I love it. We're uh, our current album is called All Belong Here. Um, it's available on Spotify, iTunes. There we um, go. You can get it on our website, uh, themanyarehere.com. Um, it is it is accessible, and we've got the 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 chord charts and the sheet music and all of that available too. Um, because this is music that is for churches, for people who are hmm. leading. Um, we, we want this in the hands of people. We want it to go out and be um, be that hope somewhere wow. in the world. So Wow. That's amazing. I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, I remember when you'd come to our church and go into LaSalle Street Community Church and then seeing you guys come out. And then I knew Leslie from, uh, from here being mm-hmm. at North Park and... Uh, Man, I mean, it's just it's an it's a strong group of voices that y'all yeah. have. Yeah, Les- Leslie Michelle and Carrie Pritchard um, uh, round out the voices beside myself and, and Hannah Rand. We uh, it's it's awesome to sing with people that 
I mean, I, I personally feel like their voices are three light years ahead of mine. <laughs> but to sing with them and not just sing with them, but to yeah. very, very literally do life with them. Mm-hmm. To, mm-hmm. to we, I mean, we talk about when we're hurting. We talk about the craziness that happens in our family situations. Um, we talk about all kinds of, of things and, and we, we live it. We, we spend time and we show up for each, for each other. Yeah. And so I think that people feel that and they kind of see it even if they can't name it when they when they do see us uh sing or when they're in us in the space where we're all together i mean we went on like a multi-day road trip and didn't kill each other it was it was the power of god (laughs) (laughs) yeah man no that's the truth i mean you know this thing i mean i I was in the music industry i mean it's like man i just remember some of the beasts over and i think back now i'm like man it was was the stupidest stuff man right You know, and it's like musicians were always just like these delicate. I don't know. Maybe it was just an L.A. thing. I mean, it was just an L.A. Southern California type of thing, man. But everybody was trying to get to the, like the Tonight mm-hmm. Show or something like that. And yeah. Like if you got there first, it was like people was pissed off at you or whatever and whatever. But man, that that's amazing, and, you, and, it, and it really does come out in the music. For those yeah. of you listening, you haven't heard it. Like I can say I don't post these links. Y'all need to go check it out download buy support people yes. like this and groups like this this is this is what i'm talking about for sure man um so where can people find you man um what do you what are you up to next where are you where are you headed to next uh, my next big thing will be the gay christian network conference uh it's national gathering is going to be in january in uh Denver, Colorado. It'll be my first time in Denver, so shout out to the folks out there. Okay, all um, right. I'm looking forward to that. If you are somebody who um, is anywhere in this conversation and you have the means to be able to get to Denver, definitely go and check that out. Yeah. If you've never been in a room um, and you know hundreds of people are gathered there, many of them LGBTQ, and been in the presence of people who are worshiping God uh, in that in that space in that moment. Um, for some, it's the first time that they've been able to bring their whole selves into a space and, and just be in the presence of God. That is a powerful experience. Um, and if you're not sure of your theology on this or if you're not sure of what the other side might be thinking, yeah. um, this is a good safe space to do that. So um, definitely want to invite people to consider that and to check check that out. Um, and beyond that, um, let me see. It's It's been a whirlwind. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. I have, to, I'm I have sure. to keep up with all the stuff that Evangelicals for Social Action is doing. That's yeah, an organization that's right. I'm working with. Yeah. Um, and the Center for Inclusivity here in Chicago. Hmm. Like, you know, all all the name drops, all the shout outs, because uh, these are my people and we're changing the world together. Yes. Um, but, yeah, if, you, if you're not sure where to find me, the best thing to do is go onto Facebook and search for Darren Calhoun. Um, the link will be, you know, in the description. Um, to my page that's where I where I continue these conversations I respond to what's happening in the media um, and where I have fun too you know it's it's not all serious doom and gloom it's it's, it's <laughs> hey you right know, right funny right thing happen um, but uh, Facebook is a great place to find me you can find me on most uh, social media pa- platforms besides Facebook as hey Darren h-e-y-d-a-r-r-e-n mm-hmm. um, and then of course my website uh, there's a few updates that are in the works I've just been having some some WordPress issues um, no yeah, I know <laughs> <laughs> don't we oh, know oh, yes. um, but but all that to say that I am very accessible and available I'm an extrovert so I like making new nice. friends so yes be my friend <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Oh, man. Well, Darren, thank you so much for coming on. This has been amazing. 
Cool. It's great to be here. And I, I appreciate this kind of work. When we make space for people to have these honest conversations, I think the world gets better. I Amen to that. Amen to that. Well, we're going to get you back on. We're going to get the mini yes. on here as well. So thanks for what you're doing, brother. Cool. Thank you. When you're not sure who you really are When all you feel is the shape of your scars And you have more wounds than you can count Open your eyes, look all around You aren't alone, this is your Yeah.